Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Trey Smith. Welcome to the podcast, Trey. Brother Osler, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Glad you could give me the opportunity to be here, and I'm excited to share my story. Um, for our listeners, Trey is somebody I got to know about six years ago in my YSA assignment in the Magna area. Trey had recently been married, um, and I got to know Trey and his wife during that time, even though by the time I got there, they were married, so they weren't in a singles ward. Trey is currently the head coach at Cypress High School. Um, Trey and Rachel have been married about six years. Trey is black. He's a black, active Latter-day Saint who grew up in the church. Most of his family is Baptist. Um, He was not really active in the church until about age 23, when a wonderful YSA bishop, President Gifford, who's now the stake president of the Hunter Stake, it's maybe the Hunter West Stake, was his YSA bishop, the bishop that preceded me, and was key to Trey um, becoming fully active in the church, what ultimately led to a temple marriage. Trey and his wife, Rachel, who's a, a dentist, an associate dentist, and they have a beautiful son who's nearly two years old. Um, but the scope of this podcast will be a couple things. One is we'll be talking about Trey um, as a Black Latter-day Saint, just his journey and why he's a committed Latter-day Saint and just how he's navigated that um, being black. We may also talk about his interracial marriage. He is married to a beautiful white woman. Trey is a great black man. And and perhaps sometimes we culturally make it a little hard for couples in interracial marriages, or they may feel some judgment or some extra looks. And maybe Trey will address that and what we can do to help um, interracial couple, couples feel like they fully belong. We'll also talk about Trey, um, a real tragedy that occurred in Trey's life when he was um, about 15 or 16. There was a devastating car accident by a junk driver in their home. Um, Trey's father um, and three of his siblings were in that accident. His younger brother, age six, died. And Trey may talk about how a loving Heavenly Father allows terrible things to occur in mortality, such as a drunk driver um, tremendous, you know, negatively infecting their home in such a dramatic and painful way. Um, I also like Trey to talk about why he's a head coach. Um, It's more than just because he loves basketball. Trey played basketball through his high school life. He played three years of college basketball at the University of Utah. One year at a school that we'll talk about in a second. He's a point guard. But his love of basketball is more than just his love of basketball or his love of coaching, also the impact he has for good for the young men at Cypress High School. Um, Trey is 31 years old, and welcome again to the podcast. Is that an okay for a bio? That is great. Thank you so much. Um, Trey is a good basketball player. Um, we've had the chance as my son came up through Cottonwood High School to compete against Trey and his teams at Cypress, and I think we won a couple games, lost a couple games, but Trey's a great coach and a great competitor, and I've noticed his positive influence on the young men and his teams um, in multiple areas. Let's start with just, um, you went, tell our listeners where you, after the University of Utah, where you went and um, start there. Um, I went to a school, Southwest Baptist University. It was in Missouri, um, in Bolivar, Missouri, small town. Um, I think the, the mall of the town was a Walmart. You know, all of the town. Yeah, it was. I think there was one or two lights in the entire town. Um, you know, to ever have to have fun or go to a restaurant, we had to go to Springfield, Missouri, which is about 25, 30 minutes away. You know, but um, it was just an opportunity uh, for me to I earned a scholarship there. Great. And, you know, an opportunity to play a little bit more than uh, what I was playing up at the U. You know, but. You know, it was a, it was a it was a time that I got away from my family, and you know, I I made some lifelong friends there um, that I still to this day talk to, even though I was only there for a year. Um, and we, you know, we have a group group chat, and you know, those are my guys, man. I love those guys. So tell us your game that you're the most proud about. Um, I don't know if that's points or assists. Just tell our listeners some of the numbers of the game you're most proud about, either at the U or at this. Or in Missouri, um, the game I'm most proud about is a one. I'm I'm definitely a team guy. 
you know, um, I could tell you, I'll give you a couple, but I was at the University of uh, Southwest Baptist University, and um, we were playing a team uh, by the name of Drury, and they were like, uh, they were in our conference, but they were like a crosstown rivalry. And, um, you know, one of my buddies makes like this huge shot. You know, I don't know how many points or assists I had that game, but he makes a huge shot, and it was probably the loudest gym I've been in. Like, my ears were ringing, and I was like, wow. And, you know, with how hot I was and how intense the game was, I just had, like, this, like, chill come over me. Um, it's how intense it was. But, you know, that was a proud moment there. Um, and, you know, I like to classify myself as, you know, a winner. Um, just in the sort of, like, it doesn't matter what I've done on the floor, if I'm on the floor, if I'm scoring, you know, if I'm a bench guy, if I'm an energy guy, you know, I like to, I like to win. And um, at the U, we won a conference title. Um, Who was the head coach? Thing? It was uh, Jim Boylan. And okay. Jim Boylan is now the coach uh, for the Chicago Bulls. And, um, you know, we won a conference title, Mountain West Conference. And, you know, and then we ended up going to the conference tournament in Vegas and winning the whole thing there. Wow. So, you know, and I and I didn't play. And you went to the NCAA tournament several times, I'll bet. No, we went one time. One we, time. We were a five seed that year. And we played, uh, we ended up playing... Uh, Arizona and Arizona was loaded back then. When I say loaded, they had Chase Budinger, um, Hill, uh, and I don't know how we got matched up with them, but we were the 5 12 upset across all brackets, ESPN, you name it. You know, people counted us out and we ended, we did end up losing, but. I think if a couple of shots go our way, the game's different. What you know? a great experience, Trey. But at the end of the day, it's it's the best experience I've ever I ever had. You know, I went I learned a lot at the University of Utah from my coaches, um, from good friends that I still talk to today. You know, I never went up there with the expectations of being some great basketball player. You know, I went up there with the expectations to learn the game um, and to ultimately get to where I'm at now. Is I wanted to be a coach from the jump. You know, so I went up there to put myself in a situation to learn and to grow not necessarily, you know, play. Like, I want to become better, a better ball player, but also use the opportunity to learn from really good guys. You know, Barrett Peary, he's at Portland State right now as the head coach. Um, Stan Johnson, he's at um, LMU in Los Angeles right now. Just got the head coaching job there. Um, coach Smitty is at Oakland University in uh, Michigan. You know, I learned from a lot of good guys, and um, I love them to death, and they're the reason, like, why I'm in the position that I'm in. What a, what a cool thing to be looking forward during that experience and know you wanted to be a head coach. And so you're enjoying playing basketball as much as you can, but you're also looking for the future of learning from these great coaches so that you can become a better coach. I really like that. Talk about, um, as I may have mentioned in the beginning, Trey was raised LDS, but I think as we visited beforehand, not particularly active all those years. Um, you had a, a girlfriend, Rachel, that you ended up uh, marrying that was kind of connecting you with the church during your high school years and maybe college years. But it was really uh, President Gifford or maybe um, your personal desire to fully understand if the church was going to be your path for yourself, not for Rachel at age 23. Just share our, with our listeners your desire to fully participate in the LDS church and why you did that? You know, at the beginning, um, I grew up LDS, you know, and my family's LDS and went to church every Sunday. You know, it was, it was clockwork. It's just, you know, what we did. Um, I was baptized when I was eight years old. Um, I also, we also kind of fell away from the church a little bit, uh, me and my family and my father. And, you know, when I started dating Rachel, you know, I would go, you know, once a month, um, even when we were dating in high school. And even when we were up at the U, uh, going to school together there, you know, I go every once in a while. And then I end up going to school in Missouri. You know, I had this, um, some just come over me saying, you know, I can't do this for anybody else. You know, I have to do it for myself. You know, this isn't, I know what I want in my life. Um, I know what the church have done has done for me in the past and I know the steps I need to take to get there you know so I came home and I left uh 
I left, you know, a year eligibility on the table, but I knew what was important. And, you know, while basketball is extremely important in my life today, obviously, um, I knew that I wanted to start a family. I knew that I wanted to gain a better relationship with my Heavenly Father. And I knew the steps I needed to take to get there. Um, I just didn't know uh, who was going to be who was going to be there to help me out. You know, and I came home and um, President Gifford was there um, at a singles award that me and my wife attended for a while. Um, great, great gentleman. And uh, he put me in the right path. Um, you know, we had a game plan, executed the game plan. And I got to the point to where I felt I needed to get to in terms of having a personal relationship and not doing it for, you know, somebody else. And and then when I felt it was necessary, I asked uh, Rachel to marry me. And I knew, I always knew I wanted to get married in Salt Lake Temple. Um, it's where my father was married. And there's there's a significance there because, you know, it, it just has so much history to it. Um, and as cliche as it is, you know, everybody wants to get married in Salt Lake Temple. But, you know, it it's just what I wanted to do. It's, it's what felt right. Um, you know, and I'm glad I was able to do that. And I'm glad I was able to make uh, Rachel, my wife, um, and my eternal partner. And, uh, you know, it's, it's where we're at right now. Tell our listeners, and thanks for sharing that. Were you, this is kind of you helping other priesthood leaders when someone like you walks in their office. So I don't know how nervous you were to walk into um, Bishop Gifford at the time, and now he's a stake president, President Gifford's office. But what did he do there that just, did you already know him? Or, or what did he do during those visits to just help you feel welcome and felt, help you feel like you were loved and there was a path for you and we needed you? Do you remember any of that? Um, I definitely do. You know, I personally did not know Bishop Gifford at all um, from anybody else. You know, I walked in to his office and, uh, you know, we talked for, you know, a good 30 to 45 minutes. And from the jump, from the beginning, you know, he was supportive of my decision. And he was also, you know, somewhat of a, like a friend to me, you know, he, he didn't make me feel lesser than anybody else. Um, you know, and even though he didn't really know me, he took the time out of his day to get to know me. You know, he knew that I love basketball. You know, he knew that this young lady, Rachel, that was in my life, that I wanted her to be my wife. You know, he, you know, when we, I played some church ball games back in the day, you know, he used to come to our games um, all the time. And just to take the personal time out of your day to do that and to get to know somebody on a personal level, you know, then, you know, that means more to me than anything. Building, having a connection with somebody and building a relationship, like that's like that's me. Like that's who I am. So if I could connect with you in that way, I know that I'm important to you personally, then you know, it makes it that much easier for me to open up to somebody that I didn't know, you know, before. So he, he 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 really took his time to, you know, get to know me and um you know, I, I appreciate him to this day. And, you know, there's even been times where he's, he's texted me about, you know, Cypress basketball and stuff like that. And, you know, and it's it's been good. And we still have a good relationship today, you know. So I I, I appreciate him. And he, he really could take the time to also get to know Rachel as well. I love that. And I, as I um, served after President Gifford, there were probably hundreds of YSAs that would tell me stories about President Sister Gifford and how kind and loving and helpful they were, are. That was a very strong ward that I joined, and our goal was to kind of continue the momentum President Gifford and the other adult leaders had created. And I love, he seemed to talk to you based on your terms, Trey, game plan. He got interested in your basketball, and it was a genuine long-term friendship. I sort of think a great principle of friendship is talk in terms of another person's interests and get to know what their interests are. And and I think he's a sports guy anyway, so that came, maybe came natural for him. But I think that's a key principle of ministering is, is getting to know people based on what's interesting for them. And and I love the way, you know, that you just felt welcome in his office and just felt like you could he could be somebody that could help you. 
Um, and as I may have mentioned earlier, Trey's an active LDS. Um, they're an active LDS couple. Um, talk about this devastating accident. You, you've lost a sibling um, to a tragic car accident that obviously was not the fault of anybody in your family. It's the fault of the choice of a drunk driver. I believe you had two siblings that were seriously injured in the crash and a father whose life experience has completely changed. Talk about for how you navigate um, a, a loving Heavenly Father and your family going to church, doing all the right things, that something as devastating as that would happen. How do you reconcile that? Uh, to be honest, you know, at the very beginning, it was hard. Sure. Um, and, and you may have felt a lot of anger and frustration. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I definitely did. And there was, there was just no doubt about it, and there's no getting around it. And, but at the same time, the person who was there, who really navigated me and um, really, you know, put me on her back was, you know, my wife now, Rachel. You know, even at a young age, uh, she was she was so mature and, you know, she was so loving and caring and, you know, nurturing. Um, you know, when when tragedies happen like this, um, you know, you have you have a couple of options. Right. You can you can go and hide in the corner um, and, you know, feel bad for yourself, feel bad for your situation, um, feel bad that, you know, you couldn't change anything or I could I couldn't have been there to, you know, maybe possibly give it a different outcome. You know, I to this day, I still I still think about that, you know, sometimes. Sure. Um, and then there's the option of you know, um, being positive and being optimistic and, um, trying to take a negative and turn it into a positive, you know, it, it, it really made me realize, you know, at the, the things that I do, the hard work that I put in, um, the passion that I have, the love that I have, you know, it's, everything has to do with, you know, family for me, you know, regardless of, Regardless if I, you know, how much money I ever made in life, regardless of my social status, regardless of um, where I'm at, you know, I, I'm a very positive person, you know, and I take a, the experiences that have happened in my life and I want to turn them into a positive thing, you know, to, you know, go back to the University of Utah, you know, um, when these things happen and, you know, the gentleman that was going through the trial um, and he was, um, he had a parole um, hearing on a day that I was trying out at the University of Utah to make the team, you know, and it just so happened on that same day when we got back, when we were driving home, you know, I got a call from, you know, the head coach saying that I earned a spot on the team, you know, and that was kind of like a sign to me saying, you know, if you just continue to work, you continue to work hard um, and everything else is, will kind of take care of itself, you know, and at the time, like I knew my family was hurting. I knew my father was hurting. Um, I, I just didn't know how bad because I wasn't a father yet, you know, being a father now, like I understand the pain that my dad went through. Like, I couldn't imagine. I really don't know how I would get through life if something like that happened to my son or my family. You know, so I thought my dad was a very strong man. Um, and it was it was tough for me to navigate at first, you know, and I really wish to this day that my father was here so I could tell him how I feel. And I apologize that, you know, I didn't take the time to really understand um, what he was going through at the time. You know, and and then... I had this, I had this crazy feeling come over me one night as I'm driving home from, you know, a film session, as I'm driving home from a film, a film session, um, after practice and it just, I had this overwhelming experience telling me that I needed to forgive the gentleman who, you know, potentially like broke my family apart. And from that day moving forward, 
you know, I've had a different outcome, um, a different outlook on life and how I'm supposed to approach life every single day, you know, cause I had a lot of anger built up. I really did. And there's no doubt about it, but I had to take a step back and, you know, as a child of God, it is not your job. It is not my job, um, to judge people. It is my job to forgive. Um, not saying I'm going to forget it, but I did forgive them. Um, which was hard for me, but I think it's, it's been a huge, uh, step in the right direction just in my life and how I approach my life. Thanks for that segment, Trey. That's a great segment. How long from the accident to this experience when you just felt like I need to forgive him? Do you remember how many years that is? It was, um, it was probably about anywhere from six, seven years. Six, seven years. And did you physically reach out to him or is this just an internal, I forgive him, I need to move on. I don't need to connect with him to do that. I just, it's my personal forgiving and I'm just moving on. It was a personal forgiving and of, of just moving on. I never, I never reached out to him. Um, but it was something that it was a burden that I just didn't need on my heart. You know, I, I want to, it's my job to be a loving person, you know, and to be a loving person, you can't have hatred towards anybody. So, you know, it, I took it within myself to, um, forgive him and to talk to my heavenly father about it. And, that's just that's that's just what it was. Uh, uh, great answer, and I don't think, as for our listeners or anybody, I don't think necessarily to do to forgive somebody. You actually have to reach out to them and talk to them. I think what Trey did is bringing closure to that situation for Trey, um, sort of an internal closure that allowed you to move on. So I think that's great, and I love the role of Rachel, your dear wife, who I know and know her family and her role to sort of be with you during this really difficult time. And it's somehow, sometimes couples come together when there's really hard things going on. They learn how to support each other and mourn with each other. And I think that's part of your beautiful falling in love, even in this tragic time, the role Rachel played and the safe place that she was. But tell us, our listeners, the name of your brother that died. Um, his name was Darius Joseph Smith. And um, his nickname, we call him Buddha. I love um, that. And, uh, you know, he was, he was, a, he was a bigger kid and, uh, you know, he just had this, he just had just such a, just a happy spirit to him. Um, you know, I just, I still to this day remember, you know, we used to play football back in the day and I'd be on my knees and he, he was just so like rough and physical, you know, I just knew, man, if he was here, he just, he'd be a beast. He'd be a monster <laughs> on the football field. I know, I know it. I know for a fact, I know it. And, um, you know, but I think about him, you know, me and my, me and Rachel Sachs went up to, um, to the grave site and, um, visited him on father's day, um, as, as well as my dad, uh, because it's what my dad, you know, would have done and what he would want us to do. So, um, I thought we need, we needed to make it a priority, um, uh, to do that. What's your dad's name? His name is Earl Smith. Earl um, Smith. He's a junior, and I'm I'm a third, so that's why I go by Trey. Trey, and they're buried together, your brother and your dad. Yeah, they're they're on the they're on the different uh, sides of the cemetery, but, but they're the same same cemetery. same cemetery. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's complicated stuff, and I love your personal journey because I recognize these tragedies, rightly so, bring anger, bring pain, bring complete devastation, and. Eventually, and I'm fine with everybody having their own time frame. We, I admire Trey being able to get to the point you had where you just needed to let this go. And I think the atonement of Jesus Christ helps us do that because at some point, the anger and pain, we need to move beyond that just to have productive lives. Hmm. Otherwise, it can just become um, consuming and impact our ability to fulfill our life mission. Yes. Um, and I love, I hope, I wish our listeners could see you light it, lit up your face, light up, lit up. What's good English there when you talked about your, your name of your younger brother and how much you love him and miss him. Um, anyway, that's a great segment. I love the role of President Gifford um, and all of our leaders that serve on the local level to help people come back. And those tender first you know, I assume most people's heart rates are pretty high when they walk into a bishop they don't know and they recognize they kind of want to move in a different direction and a better direction. They don't quite know how that's going to work. And 
Um, I love the love and support you felt from President Gifford and what a wonderful wife and family he has. Talk about, um, we're in the middle of Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matter movement, and you're black. Just talk. Does that re- just talk about your feelings about that? Does that resonate with you? Do you are you involved in the movement? Do you feel like it's an appropriate movement to help us understand better Black Americans and their unique um, road? Just share with us your thoughts on that. I'm definitely a hundred percent into the movement. Um, I think it's I think it's good for the world um, and. Honestly, what I've been most impressed with is it hasn't been something that has just come and then it's gone. You know, to this day, there are still protesters, all protests happening all over the world, you know, in other countries other than the United States that are involved in the movement of, you know, wanting equality uh, for black people and for people of color. And, um, just, you know, the social injustice that happened, you know, especially in America, um, you know, from that happened to black people and people of color. So it's what's really been hard for me personally, you know, because, you know, living in Salt Lake City, um, we don't have a huge black population here. You know, to be honest, you know, when I see a black, I see a black guy, you know, uh, just at the grocery store or on the street, you know, we get the head now, like, hey, what's up, man? Like, how you doing? Even, even if I don't know him, you know That's what I'm great. saying? It's just, it's kind of just what it is. Um, but at the same time, you know, what's been hard for me is people have turned this into, you know, a uh, a political thing, you know, and that's, and what it really doesn't make sense to me personally, you know, um, I, I have a statement here that was, that I saw on social media that just resonated with me and it made a lot of sense, right? And it says, speaking out against white supremacy and race-based violence does not make you anti-white or anti-police, right or left. It makes you pro-justice, pro-black life, pro-accountability, and pro-racial equality. Caring about the life of another isn't political, it's human. and regardless of, you know, where, where, where people's values or where the morals are, you are talking about a human life. This has nothing about being Democratic or Republican, right or left, black or white. It has everything to do with if people are not being treated fairly, right, and people think that, you know, there's um, systemic racism and um, there's social injustice and there's all these things happening, you know, it comes down to, is that person's human rights being fulfilled, um, in the country or in the world? That's what it comes down to. Is it right or is it wrong? That's what it is. And, you know, that's where I stand. And I think, you know, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big time, you know, sports guy. And I think, um, what the world needs right now is, I think we need sports right now because you you eliminate, you know, people come together in sports more than anything. True. You know, whether, you know, you're black, you're white, you're Hispanic, um, you're Polynesian, like you name it, there's all different sorts of people come together and they have and they want to come together and they have a common goal. And, you know, you know, and I'm I'm pretty up to date with social media a little bit, you know. And, um, you know, I, I've been seeing Donovan Mitchell tweet out and Donovan Mitchell's a, a likable guy in, um, in Salt Lake City, Utah. You know, I think he does a lot of good things in the community. And I think he reaches out to a lot of kids, schools. I know he donates a lot, donates a lot of things to, you know, uh, people that are less fortunate. And, you know, I've just seen, I've been seeing crazy comments of, and, and it just, I don't know, it just makes me sick. It, it, it really does. It makes no sense to me. And, um, you know, I think more people just need to become just more educated um, about the movement. It's not a it's not a negative movement. It's not a, a terrorist movement by any stretch. And it's not saying that other people's lives don't matter. Right. If, if me personally, I'm agreeing that, you know, I'm involved and I love the Black Lives Matter movement 
as well as my wife, who was at, who was also white. If me saying black lives matters, that doesn't mean that my wife's life doesn't matter. And she's white. That means that, you know, all lives can't matter until black lives matter and people of color are treated just as fairly as white people. And that, and that's all it is. And it doesn't have to be some political thing. And that's, that's my whole big thing about this whole, this whole movement. Everything has to be political, democratic or Republican, left or right. And it doesn't have to be like that. It's what's right and what's wrong. We are all fighting against racism in America and how people need to be treated. And that's it. But like bottom line, is it right or is it wrong? So that's how I feel about it personally. It's a great segment, Trey. You've got a great voice. I love the quote. I love referencing Donovan Mitchell. I've loved what he's posted on social media, and I've, I've cringed at some of the comments he's gotten back, and I just recognize how much work we have to do. Um, but I love his voice. I love your voice. And I've learned I've had to listen to understand systemic racism in our country. I had to listen to black people tell me about that. Um, I couldn't just listen to white people tell me about racism. Some get it, um, but I just recognize that to understand different groups of people, I've got to spend time with those groups of people. And then the blind spots are lessened a little bit, um, and I better understand. I assume you believe that we have, you know, systemic racism in this country. Um, is that true? Or uh, however you want to define that we need to do more, because I believe we have racism in the country and, and the opportunities for black people often aren't equal to the opportunities of white people. Yeah, no, and I, 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 def I definitely believe it's true. And, you know, an example, you know, and I, I, and I have a few I have a few stories of, you know, how I felt like I was I was treated differently because of the color of my skin. You know, I, you know, me and my wife, Rachel, we just had a son. Um, his name is Ezra. And, you know, the, the things that me and my wife talk about are not the same things that um, a white couple would, cop, would talk about. You know, we, I can't give my son a name that is too black, right? If I give my son a name that's too black, I, you give him you know, and this just happens, this happens in the world is, you know, if he has, if there's a stack of resumes, there's a hundred resumes on a table and my son's looking for a job, right? If his, if he has a name that is quote unquote too black, right? They take that resume, it's gone. And he may be just as qualified as everybody else, right? Those things still happen today in America. What a great example. It's a fact. It's a fact. It's guaranteed. Right. And, you know, even me growing up in Salt Lake City and, um, you know, being like I said, Salt Lake in Utah, there's not a huge black population. Um, there's still. You know, there was a time where I was a I, I worked at the Chili's in West Valley, you know, I was a server and I had a um, I had this white gentleman come in and he was by himself and uh, he ordered a steak. And, uh, you know, he wanted like meeting well or something like that. And, and he just said, you know, how long is it going to take? And, um, he's like, I got to catch the bus. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you got to catch the bus and you want to be out of here on time, you probably shouldn't order a steak. Right. So, right. um, you know, my big thing was, you know, I, and I was, I was very nice. Um, I was, I was respectful and, um, you know, so I'm like, you know, sir, I apologize. Take a little longer. You know, I'll, I'll get it out as, as soon as possible. And um, I bring him out his steak and I forget the bread on the plate, right? And the first thing this gentleman says to me is, I don't know where you're from, but in my country, wow. we eat our meals with bread. And the first, and at first, right, um, I was, I was, I was totally taken back, you know, um, I didn't personally know how to respond, but I responded in a professional matter. And, uh, but when I went back to the kitchen, um, I was, I was very like heated. Right. I was, I was upset, you know, and you know, I, 
probably said some things I shouldn't have said, um, but I was very, I was upset by this is common and it's just racism, you know, and, and like I said before, I was totally respectful, um, you know, and I don't think based on, you know, your race, um, your, your, your social status, your religious beliefs that you need to be treated any differently than anybody else. You know, if, if you, if you're respected, if you, if you respect people, then you should receive respect back. And, um, you know, and that's, you know, and that's, that was just one of the few times where I felt, you know, where racism was very glaring. And, um, you know, I was also young, you know, if that was happening to me today, I probably would have gave him a piece of my mind. It's good. But, um, you know, but, you know, those, those things still happen. And I think, uh, you know, how we can change um, in the world is one, becoming educated about it, um, about the history of, of black lives and um, the history of people and to have really tough conversations. You don't know, I don't know how many tough conversations I've had, you know, since, um, you know, this, the whole Black Lives Matters movement, you know, uh, just, you know, flourished again based on, you know, the, based on the events that have previously happened, um, you know, with young men. And it's, it's been good for me and it's been good for them, you know, to, to see, to hear my perspective and for me to hear their perspective and, um, and to have those conversations. And I'm not saying everybody has to think alike because everybody is, everybody's different. Right. But I'm, I'm, I'm just asking for, you know, for people to know right from wrong and to treat everybody fairly and, to give everybody the equal opportunity um, to have success. And I, and I think going back to systemic racism, um, I think that's what it comes down to is if black people have, can have those same doors open for them and have that fair, that exact same chance or the opportunity. And that's what, and that's what it comes down to. Do they have those same avenues, those same doors that open up? Right. Um, and and if if we can get to that place in the world, and I think we I think we're headed there and we're taking steps there. It's not going to happen overnight. But I think with how people are have been so proactive about it and have been talking about it, um, I think that we still have a long ways to go, but we're heading in the right direction for sure. Those are a couple of really good stories. Um, thanks for sharing this, Trey. Um, I would guess going back to work, you were just more guarded then, because here you are going back. I would have been if I'd had that experience, then the next day back to work or the next week, I'm just, not only was that experience difficult and led to a lot of anger, but then I think it would change your feeling about just interacting with customers. Is this going to happen again? So you're kind of guarded, you're kind of on the defensive because, and so there's kind of a lingering pain that occurs. Is that true in that situation? Or were you able just to say it was a one day thing and come back and be fine? I was able to say it was, I was able to say it was a one day thing, okay, you know, and good. I was, I was able to come back and be fine, but that's just kind of the person that I am. <laughs> that's um, a good I don't, character attribute. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't let, I don't let the, I can't let what other people think about me like affect my life. And, you know, if like if that gentleman knew who I was, like knew what I valued, knew what type of person I was, like the type of person I was, then I'm sure he probably wouldn't have made that comment, you know, but good for you. I, you know, I don't I don't have time to dwell on things like that. You know, I got to I got to stay positive. I got to look forward. You know, I got to I got to come to work and do whatever I got to do. It's just it's just like it's just, it's who I am. I, I'll never let anything like that get in the way of you know, what I do or who I am or what I feel. Do you have a favorite athlete who's um, your favorite example of Black Lives Matters and his or her messages? You mentioned Donovan Mitchell. Is he? Do you have a favorite one for the messages and the tone and the um, work he or she is doing? Personally, not right now, uh, to be honest. You know, I, I, think, um, I think the platform that, you know, either celebrities or professional athletes are on. I think they're doing a good job of using their voice. And, you know, some people might not like it, you know, but at the end of the day, if you're entitled to have a political opinion about something, right, 
And and this is why it bothers me is people think it's a political view when it's really not. You know, people want to say, I remember the comment made a few years ago by a reporter saying that basketball players need to shut up and dribble, you know, because LeBron, he's a very, you know, he speaks out about issues a lot. And, you know, he has, you know, and he has a huge influence in the NBA. But at the same time, you know, they take and all the in a lot of these guys are millionaires. And, you know, what I do love about LeBron James is, you know, the money that he does make, he gives back to his community. Like he's not a guy who is just posting on social media media. He's a guy who's taken the time and the money that he's worked hard for and earned and pours it back into um, you know, low income and, you know, black communities where he's from. You know, and and I think and I think that's I think that's big time. So if there's anybody, I think athletes can use their platform to to speak it and to get out there. And I, you know, I've seen plenty of athletes out there marching during these protests, you know, Damon Lillard, um, um, Giannis, to name a few, name a couple of guys like I think that's good. It's good for it's good for their community. Because if you feel like these high profile guys that are, you know, they're looked at as celebrities and untouchable, right? They're out there walking the same streets that you're walking, right? This must be important. It must be important. The example you gave earlier of you and Rachel picking names for your son, who you chose Ezra, is really powerful. I rec- My wife and I are the parents of six kids. When I look at my white privilege, I never had to... Th- we never had a discussion of what names or not names to use based on a resume of our child not being considered for a job. Hmm. And I get, it's just sort of hit me pretty health in a very helpful way, Trey, what you just shared with our listeners. Um, I think you said you have a black son before we went live or during the podcast. So you hear you have a black son, beautiful black son. I've seen him on social media. Thank you. Um, you have a beautiful home and a beautiful family, but white privilege, the way I would see it is my wife and I, in all the conversations we had um, it, during those pregnancies, thinking up names for our kids, which is a fun part of the pregnancy. Yeah, it definitely is. You make all these lists and then you know if it's a boy or girl and that changes the list. And we never once had to consider what you just said. And that's white privilege. Mm. Um, but here you are in this beautiful, exciting time with Ezra coming, you have to exclude certain names because quote unquote, they're too black and it may change the future opportunities for your black son. Yeah. And to me, that is a, a beautiful example and a painful example of the reality of where we are as the society and the work we need to do. Yeah. And my, and, and, you know, my big thing is what, what I think is occurring um, with this Black Lives Matter movement is obviously, you know, we're working on the present of, you know, where we're at right now um, as a society. But at the same time, you know, what this movement is going to do for us is it's going to help our kids. It's going to help my son. It's going to help the players that I coach, the young kids that I coach right now. You know, it this this movement gives them a better opportunity when you know the players become my age or my son becomes a teenager right so that's what i think it's about i think it's about the future and setting up um young black americans you know young black kids up for success at the end of the day and you know if we can do that then you know i think we've we've done our job you know as a society and as as a country and you know as a whole in the world. Um, and you know, one thing that comes to mind, um, you know, speaking about, you know, white privilege and, you know, what exactly, like, what exactly does it mean? Right. It doesn't mean, you know, um, you don't grow up and go through hard things. It doesn't mean that you don't grow up poor. Like that's not what it means. Right. It means that, um, you don't have to have the same talks, with, you know, your kids that I have to have with my son or my wife has to have a talk with me about what do you do if you ever get pulled over, you know, by a police officer, you know, I'm going to have to have that. I'm going to have to have that talk with my son, um, 15 years from now. Right. Right. Okay. Put your hands on the steering wheel. Um, if you ever, if you go to reach or something, right. 
let him know what you're reaching for, where exactly it is. Um, you know, just there's there's things like that that people don't got to worry about, you know, especially what's going on in today's society and, and, just, and just where we're at. And don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not a guy who's going to sit up here and say, you know, all cops are bad. Like, I have relationships with a lot of cops, right? And they're white and they're good people. And guess what? I've never had one problem with them. I've never had one run in. I've never had any issues. They respect me, right? As a black man. And I respect them as an, as, as an individual. And they respect me as an individual. Maybe I shouldn't have said black man, but they respect me as a person. And at the end of the day, like, that's what it's about. You just got to show respect to people, you know? And if we can, you know, just move in the right direction, I think, I think, I think we'll be okay. Um, I've posted a little bit, some of my thoughts on social media. This is, um, from Brene Brown, a social scientist that helped me understand sort of why all lives matter doesn't really work. Um, black lives matter is a movement to rehumanize black citizens. All lives matter, all lives matter, but all lives, not all lives need to be pulled back into moral inclusion. And for me, listeners, that really clicked for me. Um, just to, the nuance I needed to develop between all lives matter that we're you're talking is important, but just where we are with black um, Americans and black Latter-day Saints, the work we need to do. And that's why black lives matter, in my opinion, matters is because of we need to make everybody feel like they're equal and you don't have to worry about the name of your son. Yes. Um, and you don't have to worry about the conversations you're going to have with your 15, 16-year-old son. And you develop some really kind nuance. You're not very binary. You're really good at saying, you know, cops are good. Yes. Um, and I have caught. And so it's not a political issue, to your point. It doesn't need to be polarizing. We're getting these binary narratives. So I really like that. You're in, if it's okay for me to call this an interracial marriage, I've I don't know if you think of your in an interracial marriage. I think you're just in love with your wife, Rachel, and you don't see yourself necessarily as black or white. You just see yourself as man and woman together in marriage, raising a family. But some people may see you that way. Do you, did you feel those eyes on you at times that you're in an interracial marriage? And if so, what can we do to eliminate that in our culture so people don't look at you and first see a black man married to a white woman? Uh, you know, definitely, definitely growing up in Utah, um, you know, we see, we definitely see, we definitely feel, um, you know, people staring at us at times, but to be honest, like it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother my wife, you know, and it, 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 it I always use the saying like, it is what it is at this point, you know, um, I'm in love with her because, um, we have, the same that we share the same values in a lot of different things. Um, she is hardworking. She is loving. She's nurturing. Um, she's driven. And, you know, that's the type of, that's the type of partner that I needed in my life. You know, we, we, we balance each other out because, you know, there's times where I need to be pushed a little bit more. Um, there's times where, you know, she just needs to take a step back and know that she can't be in control of everything. You know, so we balance each other out in that sense. And um, I look at it, I, I still know that we're in an inter interracial relationship. Like, you know, but it, it it's, I don't know, we're in 2020. Like, <laughs> people got to wake up and, <laughs> you know, I, I get, it's all, it's all over, it's all over America, right? It's all, it's all over the world. So I... You know, no one's personally, no one's ever made um, negative comments uh, towards me um, in the church, to be honest. Good. You know, and, uh, you know, we've just, and me and wife, we have a great relationship. We really do. How did your families respond? Was there any tension in either of your families or have they been supportive of you too? Um, definitely not. There was no, there was no tension at all. Um, one, Rachel's family, like, they've take they've taken me in, like, since the jump it's 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 you know like they've taken care of me and they've helped me out so much i don't know there's 
I don't know how many times her brothers have either fixed my car or fixed my flat tires. You know, they and her dad helps me out. Uh, a great family. A, a wonderful, a wonderful man and, a, you know, world model towards me. And her mom is, man, I don't know what we do without her mom. She does so much for us. She does so much for my, uh, for my boy. Um, and they definitely, they definitely took me in like, I don't think it was never a problem to I be honest. That. I'm really glad to hear that. And in my, in second, you know, my family, you know, welcome Rachel in like with open arms. You know, it was, and my, my, my grandmother made a comment. She said some, and she said something that's the fact like, you know, Rachel's black, something like that. Like she's like, <laughs> my family loves her to death. They know what type of person she it's a is, compliment. you know? So like, you know, so our families, they, they love us for who we are, you know, and they and my family and her family have a good relationship. And so it's it's never been a problem. I love that. And I know Rachel's family a little bit better than yours. I've known Rachel's brothers and that is a great family and your family's a great family. Talk in this last segment about um, you're the head coach at Cypress High School. You've been there six years. You played basketball there. Um, if our listeners could see Trey when he walked in, he's wearing a Cypress high school t-shirt and a hat. And I think it's the pirates. That's correct. And, um, my wife and I, um, got, just fell in love with the Cypress Magna West Valley community during our service and learned a lot about some of these social issues as we kind of got out of our bubble more on the East side of Salt Lake and spent more time on the West side of Salt Lake, which just has more diversity, ethnic diversity, income diversity, and it was very helpful for me to recognize some of the blind spots I had and some of the assumptions I had made, but I fell in love with the Magna Cypress community, a community that I had not heard a lot of good things about, to be honest. And um, as I sat in those, sometimes I'd go to the Cypress games um, just to connect with the local community. And um, I just have loved, I just love that community there and Cypress High School Talk about um, what you're trying to do at Cypress High School as a head coach. I know you want to win games, but your mission there is broader than that. Share with our listeners what you're trying to do there. Um, so I'm going on my um, seventh year um, as head coach there and seventh year there uh, teaching as um, physical education teacher. And um, I've really found myself, you know, just wanting to give back my time uh to the community and you know what i've always thought or said to myself and you know people may feel differently about this is um anybody anybody's time is worth any amount of money you know when when i think about giving back to a community um i think about you know giving back my time and when i first received the job um, as head coach, uh, the first thing, you know, I, I came in, I was young, you know, and I, I had all this energy and I thought I was going to change the, change the outcome of games right away and make this like huge impact. Right. And, uh, I just needed to take a step back and just say, you know what, this is, this is a, this is a process. It's going to take a while, you know, to do, uh, to really put a stamp on the program and to change it culturally. Um, and culturally, I mean, um, by kids wanting to work hard, right? Because just like you said, there's a lot of negative, um, a lot of negative things. When people think about Magnum West Valley. There's a lot of negative that comes with that, you know. And I want to, I want to change that, you know. And it, and and that's and that's part of my job. And I'm in a, I'm in a leadership role, which one, um, I think I was, you know, I was built to be in. You know, I, I, I love being, I love being a leader. I think I've, I've been a leader, uh, my whole life and whether that's been, you know, in a job setting, um, on a team, in a team, on a team, um, you know, and now being a head coach of a basketball team, you know, but my job is to help these young men and prepare them for, you know, life, you know, so a lot of the things that I do in my program have to do with what's going to happen to them after basketball leading forward. Right. Um, you know, we have this thing, uh, we have six core, we have six core values, you know, that we use in my program, you know, and one of the two of them that are the most important to me 
are one is one accountability, right? You, my kids are always accountable for their actions at all times. And I don't care if you are a freshman or if you are a senior, right? It's, it's my job to hold you accountable and to make sure that you understand what is required of you at all times. And this is not just on the basketball floor. This has everything to do with what you do in the community, right? How kids look up to you in the community, um, what you do in the classroom, how your peers and how the student body, um, you know, look at you as a person, right? And then secondly is, is character. Like who, who are you as an individual? And character comes from, you know, character means to me, you know, it's, it's not about what you do while people are looking, right? And, and, and how you can see, you know, if I do something good right now is, is Coach Trey going to, you know, pat me on the back and say, hey, good job. But character is, do you do the right thing when no one's around, when you're by yourself, right? And you know you can go this, you can go one direction or you can go the other direction. You know, what is your, where, where are you at at your core? You know, and um, I've, I, I think as a staff and as an administration, um, we've we've done that and it obviously can be better, but I think we're definitely heading in the right direction. And one thing I could say about the Cypress High administration is they've always had my back. You know, they hired me to be the basketball coach and to be a you role were model. You 25, roughly, as head coach. I was. and I, can, I don't know if that's the youngest head coach at a high school in Utah ever. And I, I, I think it is. And I think it's also I'm the youngest black head coach that has ever been hired, you know, for a program. That's cool. You know, so, um, you know, I, I take that with um, so I take that to heart. And I know that, you know, everything that I do, um, you know, I'm always being. And what I heard this from Stan Johnson, you know, he's the, the head coach at LMU now um, in L.A. And, you know, I, I had a meeting with him uh probably two or three years back and we went to, went out to lunch and said, he said, Trey, you know, you're always being, you're always being interviewed all the time. So, you know, he was the guy who he always had the nicest suit on all the time. You know, he always was clean shaving all the time. You know what I'm saying? And so I've kind of modeled my ways after coach Stan Johnson, because he, he said, you know, you're a young black coach in Utah like people are always, always looking for you and waiting for you to make some sort of mistake. And I can't make mistakes. I have to be that much more professional. I have to make sure I have, I wanna have, um, I wanna have a nice suit at games. It might only be a high school game. People might say, why does coach, why does, why does Trey wear suits at high school games for what? Because I'm always being interviewed, that's why. And I have something to prove and I wanna be as professional as possible. And, um, you know, I want to let, you know, people in our community and, you know, kids that I coach is coach that like you can be, you know, a young black man and be professional and have high standards for yourself. And I don't I don't need to be like everybody else. I, I want to I want to set things up the way that I want to set them up. And, you know, I want to give, you know, these kids a little bit of hope at the end of the day. So I love what I do. I love my job. I really want to I really wouldn't. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't a coach. It's just, I was sent here on this earth to be a basketball coach. I know it. I know it. Um, I wish our listeners could see the, I hope you can sense the passion, but Trey just smiles when he talks about coaching. And I love to meet people that are doing their dream job. And what a great thing to wake up every day and know you're doing your dream job. And, you know, I've been to a few of your games and I just sense, um, you have a competitiveness about basketball and a desire to win, which is needed in a head coach. But your role as a head coach is broader than that. I sense you really want to build men and build character and build accountability and build these values that you talked about that um, sustain young people for their whole life. And I would, I just think you're on God's errand doing this and you are just like other coaches in other high schools are sometimes the very best role model that young men have. And for women that are coaches, young women have. And um, I love what you're doing in a wonderful community and the lives 
I can still remember, Trey, some of my high school teachers that had an impact on me. People for generations are going to talk about, about your role for good in their life. And I would think that the impact you're going to have for good is far more than you realize right now. Um, but you've already made a big impact for what you've done. And I love your passion for coaching. Thank you. Um, do you know Jordan Wager, by chance, who's over in the football program? I definitely do. He's another um, young man I connected with out there. I, um, I I don't know how similar the two of you feel, but I sense his commitment to that community, to um, Cypress football, and just a really good guy. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, um, and I just follow him on social media and just sense a really good guy. And, and just there's a lot of really good people in our world that want to make the world a better place that are good people. Yep. Um, we're kind of at the hour mark, and I think Trey has other responsibilities. We're recording this in the middle of the day. Um, I just wanted to read a – I don't want to go back too far, but just I wrote on Instagram one day, um, peaceful protests are not, a, are not from Satan or a sign of the last days. The murder of innocent black people and racism are from Satan and a sign of the last days. And then I put hashtag Black Lives Matters. And my point is there is sometimes we'll, you know, look on the TV and see protests or, and that can make us feel uncomfortable. And I've learned to, being uncomfortable for me sometimes leads to personal growth that I need to make in my own life to better understand something. So I've learned to try not to dismiss something I'm uncomfortable with, putting it in this bucket of it's a sign of the last days or it's from Satan. Certainly some is, um, um, so some of the protests that have become not pro peaceful and have led to crimes being committed are not appropriate. But I've tried to just develop a nuance in my own personal journey that when I'm uncomfortable about something, to lean into that feeling for a while and see if there's something that Heavenly Father wants to teach me, perhaps about racism or about sexism or about the different types of biases that I might have. So that's a little bit of my personal journey to sometimes live in the feeling of being uncomfortable. And then in the case of racism, listen to black people talk to me about racism because Trey has taught me some things in this podcast. Um, I'll never forget what you said about naming your child for the rest of my life as an example of white privilege and an example of the road you've walked. That is so powerful for me. Um, and to me, that's an example of just white privilege and a blind spot that I would never have picked up, but it's something you and your dear wife knew. And it's just the reality of our society right now and the work we need to do because our doctrine is all like unto God. So everybody should have the same experience in our church and society. We just have more work to do. Any final comments, Trey, before we close up? Um... I just think the biggest thing, um, you know, that we can do to, you know, change the lives of other people or uh, to change, you know, the movement that's happening now is just to be positive and, you know, to spread love and not hate, um, you know, be a loving individual, be an understanding individual, um, have an open mind. It's okay to, it's okay, you don't have to agree with, everything that somebody says, but you can have a conversation and agree to disagree, but without it being an argument or, you know, people coming off as uh, confrontational, you know, you, I just think you just have to spread more love than there is hatred in this world. And I think the only way to do that is, and what I really loved about what you're saying is being uncomfortable is, you know, there's, there's a saying that, I've heard for years and then you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable and you, and you, and you really do. So it's okay to have these hard conversations, right? You know, if, if you don't, if, if you know somebody that, you know, has struggles or you want to reach out and talk about certain things, reach out and talk about those things. And it's going to be uncomfortable for a little bit. It really is. And it's fine. But at the same time, you're going to gain knowledge and that person that you possibly you're speaking to is also going to gain knowledge. It's going to work 
you know, it's going to work on two different levels. So, um, you know, I just, I personally, I just want to be a positive person. I want to be, um, you know, a positive light in a lot of people and a lot of people's lives. And, you know, I have a lot of young people that, you know, look up to me personally. And, um, like you said earlier, my job is to, you know, help them in life and help them grow and to know that I can be there for them, um, when things get tough and, and, you know, that's probably all I got right now. It's great. I also want to let you know, I, I wouldn't be able to do the job or have the job that I have, um, without the support of my wife. You know, she, I'm telling you, when I, when I go through a four month stretch in the winter time, all the way through March, she holds the house down. You know, she takes care of my son. You know, there's there's two or three nights during the week where we don't get to see each other at all. I don't see my son at all. And she really, really does a good job of making, of, you know, holding it down for those four months for me. You know, so I wouldn't be able to have the dream job that I have or do what I do and have the passion that I have for it if my wife didn't fully support what I do. So, you know, I love I love Rachel to death. Shout out to her. You know, my son, too. The greatest people in my life, and I love them to death. Thank you, Trey Smith. Thank you, Rachel. Um, uh, you guys are a great couple. And thank you for being with us, our listeners, on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler and Root for Cypress High School, basketball and football. They're a great program. Mm-hmm.